All right, thank you, Taylor Swift. <laughs> Woo. Yeah, it doesn't get better than that. All right. Uh, welcome to the workshop. I knew you were trouble when you walked in, cultivating godly discernment in dating. My name's Maria Noyes. I work... Thank you, five people who know me. Um, and I, I work on the Mason-Dixon team for disciple makers. But right before Christmas, something very exciting happened to my family. We bought a minivan. Yeah, woo, minivan time. And I was so excited about this because not just would this give my family more space when we travel, but a minivan was actually my dream vehicle growing up. It's true. I thought it would be super fun to pile in all my friends in this minivan and go on trips. So I was pumped about this purchase. And a couple of weeks, after owning this minivan, I find myself driving on the road to Penn State, York. I'm living my dream. And as I'm driving, I begin to notice that things are passing by me really slowly, like houses and trees and buildings. I'm like, man, like I must be going super slow. And so I looked down at my speedometer. I saw the speed limit was 45. Do you know how fast I was going? Any guesses? 25? 35? All right, wow, you guys have a lot more faith in me. I was actually going 60. <laughs> Terrible, 60 miles per hour. And I thought I was going slow. Yes, and the thought struck my mind that if a cop had pulled me over in that moment and would have said to me, ma'am, how fast do you think you're going? I would have honestly said to him, you know, officer, I'm not really sure, but I am confident that I was going the speed limit or probably below it. I'm guessing that's why you pulled me over. <laughs> well, I'm glad that did not happen to me. Probably would have gotten in trouble with that. Uh, and, but my perception of how fast I was going, it was totally skewed. And I think that's what often happens to us when it comes to dating. That we think that our judgment is clear, that we know how to evaluate someone's character. But if we're honest, often our discernment is not as good as we like to think that it is. We actually need something outside of ourselves to show us clearly what someone's character is like. We need the truth of God's word. And when it comes to dating relationships, God's word is the best place to go because God is the author of love. I don't know if you ever thought about that. If you look at 1 John 4, 7 in your packet, um, I think we're on pages 16 to 17. So should we be on page 16? 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So ladies, if you want to learn how to wisely go about dating relationships, you have to go to the creator of relationships, which is God himself. And so in this workshop this morning, I hope to unpack three temptations that women commonly face when it comes to dating. And honestly, I myself have faced them. And I want to show you how God's word offers you a better wisdom than what your feelings or our culture has to offer you. And to help illustrate each of these temptations, I have a short video of a staff member who's gonna share about her experiences with that exact temptation. But I'm guessing for those of you sitting out here that there's probably a range of you 
So if I had to guess, my guess is there's some of you who are already dating. In fact, I know there's some of you who are already dating. And maybe you're curious to hear what God's word has to say about relationships. I'm also guessing that there's some of you who would really like to be in a relationship, maybe are a bit jealous of your friends who are dating, but you really want to learn as much as you can before you might date someone. Uh, I'm also guessing there might be some of you out there who are really enjoying your singleness. You love the season of singleness, but you thought that this might be a helpful area to learn about for yourself or for your friends. And then there also might be some of you out there who came because this is the one your friends wanted to come to and you would rather be anywhere else than talking about dating. Well, wherever you are at, I have been praying that this workshop would meet you right where you're at. So this workshop, I'll just give you a heads up, it is not meant to be exhaustive by any means. There are a lot of factors you wanna consider when you're figuring out who to date. But my focus is, is focusing on three things that will trip you up when you're trying to discern a guy's character. So with that said, let's dive in. If you look at your packet, the first temptation you are likely to face when it comes to dating is to prioritize chemistry over character. So let me explain. A few years ago, I was having a conversation with a student at women's conference. And she was telling me about a guy that she had just started dating. I love these conversations. And I got to ask her, what do you like about him? And she proceeded to list all, all of these things to me. I remember her saying things like, uh, I feel so happy when I'm around him. You know, we share this really strong bond. Um, he makes me feel really confident. And I couldn't help but think, you know, those things aren't bad. Um, but I actually reflected back to her. I was like, you know, I, I'm really glad that that guy makes you feel so good. Um, but what is his character like? Like, what is he like as a person? And she said to me, oh, I didn't really consider that. And I, I think this actually holds true for a lot of us, that we get swept up in our feelings of attraction, in the status of being a girlfriend, of being liked, that we neglect often to focus on what's truly important. And, and we also live in such a, a highly sexualized culture uh, we're told to follow our hearts, to let our feelings be our guide, uh, just be with people that make you feel good. Um, but God's wisdom is totally different. God teaches us that what makes us feel good is not necessarily what is good for us. So take a look at Jeremiah 17, nine. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Consider that what feels good in the moment when you're attracted to someone might not be the best indicator of who that person will be for the long haul. So maybe you have a lot of witty banter with a guy. Witty banter, not necessarily a bad thing, but witty banter is not proof that a guy will take care of you when you get sick. Or maybe you are really physical. If that guy is lazy, it doesn't matter how cute he is, I'm just saying. And that guy will not look that cute forever. I can guarantee it. Sorry, guys, that's not a slight. <laughs> I realize I should, yeah. Anyway, maybe we'll cut that out. Um, <laughs> so yes, if, if, offering. Because what holds a marriage together for the long haul, it is not chemistry. It's keeping your vows even when you don't feel like it.
And so God's wisdom is to let godly character be the first thing that you look for when deciding who to date. But how do we know what godly character even looks like? Well, every now and then, I enjoy doing a thousand piece puzzles, especially when I was quarantined, I was getting desperate. And to help me figure out where the pieces fit, I constantly have to look at the picture on the box. And that's what we're going to do with this passage in Ephesians 5. We're going to look at the end picture, at this beautiful picture God paints of marriage and work backwards to see what we should look for in a boyfriend. So let's take a look at the passage in your packet from Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22. It says, "'Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. "'For the husband is the head of the wife, "'even as Christ is the head of the church, "'his body, and is himself its savior.'" Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish." In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church, right? So we are going to see three characteristics of a godly husband in Ephesians 5, which will help us know what kind of character to look for in a boyfriend. I'm gonna go through these pretty briefly, but in your packet, I've listed a bunch of questions under each category to help you. So the first thing Ephesians 5 tells us us to look for is a man who loves self-sacrificially like Jesus. Take a look at verse 25. The call is for husbands to love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus, he died for you. He gave up everything to make you his bride. And that's exactly what he's calling husbands to. So you want to look for evidence of self-sacrifice in a guy's life. Does he care for other people even at great cost to himself? But keep in mind that a man he can't love sacrificially like Jesus if he hasn't experienced the love of Jesus. And so you really need to start by asking, is this man even a Christian? And not just in name only, but is he passionately following Jesus? So that's the first thing. Second thing Ephesians 5 tells us to look for is a man who loves God's word and points you to it. We see the reason that Jesus laid down his life in verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that means that Jesus is making his bride, his believers look more like himself through his word. And so that's what you want to look for. You wanna look for a man who loves God's word and wants to make you look more like Jesus by pointing you to God's word. And again, keep in mind that a man, he can't point you to God's word unless he himself knows God's word. 
So that's the second thing. Third thing Ephesians 5 tells us to look for is a man who cares about your holiness and your purity. Look at verse 27 in Ephesians 5. Did you catch Jesus's ultimate goal in all of this? It's so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So you want to look for a man whose goal is the same as that of Jesus' goal for you, to make you holy and blemish-free before God. So you wanna watch out for a man who tries to push your physical boundaries or tries to get you to have sex by saying things like, we're going to be married someday, so it's okay. That is a man who values satisfying his desires over obeying Jesus and honoring your purity and holiness. So three things Ephesians 5 tells us to look for and to define godly character is a man who loves self-sacrificially like Jesus, a man who loves God's word, and a man who honors your purity and your holiness. And these three things are key because the goal of marriage is to image the gospel to the world. We see this in verse 32. That's what the whole goal, that's what marriage is pointing to. So I want you ladies to take a minute to look over the questions in the packets. And if you are dating someone or if you're interested in a guy, um, begin to at least answer some of those questions mentally in your head. Um, If you're not in one of those categories, I encourage you to read over the questions so that way you're prepared uh, if that season comes for you. So I'm gonna give you a minute here and then we'll dive back in. All right, I'm gonna bring us back here. Feel free to keep looking at them later. Uh, And I just wanna say, while you will not find a perfect man you do wanna look for someone who is characterized by these three qualities in Ephesians 5. And so now we're going to watch a short video of a staff worker named Sarah Evans. She's on our Lancaster team. And she is going to share about her experiences with prioritizing chemistry over character and how God changed her perspective. All right, so for Sarah, looking cool and her physical chemistry with her boyfriend were more important than godly character at first. And that is one of the biggest temptations that you may face when it comes to dating, is to prioritize chemistry over character, to let our feelings be our primary guide. But God's wisdom is to look for godly character first and then chemistry. All right, that was temptation number one. Let's move on to temptation number two. We keep our romance private instead of making it public. So I'm guessing that when you were figuring out what college to go to, you probably did a bit of research. I'm guessing that you may have talked to other people who went to that school. Maybe you looked on the school's website to learn more about it. Maybe you talked to a guidance counselor. Uh, Maybe you called the financial aid office a million times to figure out your package. Um, I'm guessing you put a, a lot of thought and time into that. Or maybe before you make a big technology purchase, like a laptop or a cell phone or something like that, you read reviews or you talk to your friends who have that technology before you pay that much money. Well, with most big decisions in life, we seek counsel, we ask for advice. But I don't know, have you ever noticed this, that when it comes to romantic relationships, where we're putting our hearts on the line we often don't seek any outside counsel at all. I, and this is true for me, I realized looking back in high school 
that I put more thought and time into my Starbucks order than I did saying yes to my first boyfriend. It's true, sad and true. Uh, in, our, and in our culture, this is a tricky one because it can seem like our romance is really public. I mean, any of you on social media, you probably see pictures of people with their boyfriends and posting their stories and all that. So in that sense, the romance is public. But oftentimes we don't ever actually ask for advice or we don't ever actually share what's going on in our relationships. And the scriptures say that this is a big problem. Take a look at Proverbs 18.1, which says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. God says that it is foolish to isolate yourself and your romantic relationships. Uh, and, and just a quick note too, I wanna throw out that abuse is much more likely to happen in relationships the more private and closed off that they are. So instead of keeping your relationships private, God's wisdom says to make our romance more public, to seek counsel. Take a look at Proverbs twelve fifteen, which says the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. So have you ever considered that there are really only three ways to learn about a person? What that person tells you, what you can observe about them, and then there's a third category, what other people can tell you about that person. Another way to put it is what you can only see with help. And so if you don't seek counsel, you will only know a guy based off of what they're telling you and what you can observe you won't have a full picture of who that guy really is. And there's a few just really practical ways that you can begin to seek counsel. The first thing that you can do is to seek counsel when you're single. I mean, how, how many of you have ever asked someone, do you think I'm ready to be in a romantic relationship? I never asked that question, I should have. Uh, I really encourage you to ask this even before you start dating. The answer might be hard to hear, but it will be worth it. And there's some more questions you can ask on your handout, but you wanna learn as much as you can before going into a relationship. And second, you can also seek counsel before and during a romantic relationship. So I'd really encourage you that if, if a guy asks you out to take some time to think and to pray and to talk to other people about it, it's really okay to tell a guy that you need some time to really, to really measure this decision, to really weigh it. And if you're already dating someone, it is never too late to seek counsel. Ask other people what they think about the guy that you're dating. And I listed some questions that you can ask when you go to talk to other people about the guy's character. And some people that you might wanna consider asking about a guy's character are his roommates, since they see him day in, day out. Uh, you could ask his pastor, uh, some of the guy's close friends, the guy's mentor. Uh, and, and you don't necessarily need to talk to all these people or ask all those questions, but the scriptures do talk about the value of having a multitude of counselors. If you look up Proverbs eleven fourteen, it says, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. And so even if you meet a guy online or in a dating app, I know some of you uh, may be on those, these principles still apply. So I had a friend a few years ago who lived in Pennsylvania and she met a guy online who lived out in Wisconsin and they really hit it off. They're messaging back and forth. 
And she noticed that her heart was really beginning to become entwined with his. But she realized that she only knew the guy based off of what he was telling her in his messages. So she asked him for a list of people who knew him well and their phone numbers. And then she called those people up and she asked them questions about this guy that she had met online. And some of those questions are the ones in your packet. And, and this is so, so helpful for her. It gave her a much fuller picture of who that guy was on the screen. This probably, I'm guessing, sounds strange to be this forward and pushing for evidence of godliness, but we should be willing to be this bold when it comes to what truly matters. And remember, it's actually normal to seek for counsel in most other areas in life. You actually do it all the time. So your goal is to gain as much wisdom and insight as possible before and during your dating relationships. Because you will find that the healthiest relationships and marriages, they always have God's word and other people speaking into them. I do wanna say a quick word of warning though, you do need to consider the source as you're seeking counsel. Not all sources of counsel may be equally helpful. And so this is why it is so important to be in God's word and in prayer because you will have to sift through the counsel that you receive. All right, so that's a lot about seeking counsel. But another way that you can make your romance more public is to spend time with other people in groups. So in our culture, it's pretty normal that when you start dating someone, you go out on a lot of one-on-one dates with them. And there is definitely a place for that. But if you primarily just spend one-on-one time with the other person, you will not get a full picture of who they are. Because if you think about it, if you are in a restaurant with a guy on a date, you both are probably going to be on your best behavior. And so you wanna watch how that guy interacts with other people, how he handles stress and pressure. Uh, And even if you're just interested in someone, I really encourage you not to grab for a lot of one-on-one time with a guy, but to really spend time and watch to see what he's like around people. You'll learn a lot more about him that way. So we are actually going to see how staff member Jenny Fitch, who's on our Burks team, learned the value of seeking counsel in her romantic relationships. So for Jenny, she found that not seeking counsel led to a lot of heartbreak, but as she learned and grew in seeking counsel, it led to much healthier romantic relationships. And so when you are figuring out who to date or if you're already dating, God's wisdom is to go public with your romance instead of keeping it private, to seek counsel and to spend time with other people. You wanna learn as much as possible about the guy. All right, let's look at our third and final temptation is that we settle rather than stay single. And if it makes us feel better, even Taylor Swift admits that she settled. That, it's true. I'm, that was the inspiration for her song that you heard playing right before the workshop. I knew you were trouble when you walked in. Here's a quote from Taylor. She says, I've written about shame on you, you broke my heart, but I've never written about shame on me, you broke my heart. I knew when you walked in, you were going to be complete bad news. And I ran toward you anyway. I believed you anyway. I fell for you anyway, even though every red flag was going up every step 
of the way. Wow, I, I think we're probably all tempted to settle for a guy who we know isn't the best God has for us. And it's really tempting to say or to think things like he can change. He won't be like this when we get married. We often overemphasize the good in a guy and downplay the bad to keep the relationship. So why are we so tempted to settle for these relationships that aren't good for us? Well, back in the height of the pandemic, I hate to take us back there, but back in the height of the pandemic in 2020, I realized one day that my home was down to one roll of toilet paper. This is, I don't know if any of you uh, hit that point. This was a scary point back then because uh, of the toilet paper shortage. So I went to every major store in my town, Walmart, Aldi, Giant, Target, you name it. I probably went there, all sold out. I was getting very, very desperate and praying a lot. So I finally ended up at this discount grocery store in my town, sells a lot of expired food. And I walk in there and I see what was to my eyes at the time, the most beautiful display of toilet paper ever. I like ran in, I remember grabbing one of those packages and hugging it to my chest, literally hugging it to my chest. I think I was scared someone would take it from me. Um, and so I, I paid for this toilet paper, I, I took it home and I started using it. And then I, you might know where this is headed, I realized that this was one ply toilet paper, maybe not even one ply, it was like thinner than tissue paper toilet paper. Like you need a whole roll, you know, one sitting. And I was very, very sad about this because I am someone who really enjoys my soft, fluffy toilet paper. I like specifically budget for that. And so this was, this was a very sad day for us, but because I needed that toilet paper so badly, I was willing to lower my standards to get it. And that's what often happens when it comes to romantic relationships, that when they go from becoming a want to becoming a need, we are much more likely to lower our standards to get a guy. And when we start believing that we need something else to satisfy us apart from God, the Bible calls this idolatry. You take a look at Romans 125. It says that they, which is people, exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who was forever praised, amen. If we're honest, it is so tempting to worship a guy who is giving us attention and affection, to make him the center of our world instead of our creator God. So if you find yourself saying or, th or thinking things like, I won't be happy if I don't have a boyfriend or get married. Or maybe, I don't know what I would do if my boyfriend broke up with me. He's my world. Uh, or, or maybe, I know people have talked to me about the warning signs of my boyfriend, but I would never break up with him. I don't wanna be left alone. There's a possibility that you might be idolizing a romantic relationship. And I just wanna clarify, it is not bad to want a boyfriend or to want marriage. Those are good desires. They're, they're great to pray for. But when we, when we need a marriage or, or a relationship to satisfy us, it, it's probably become an idol in our life. 
And the problem with making a romantic relationship an idol is that idols always overpromise and underdeliver. They always overpromise and underdeliver. Take a look at Jeremiah 2:13, which says, "My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water." And this is the picture of idolatry that we forsake God, the giver of life, and we try to find life in something else. So ladies, you will be disappointed by every man but Jesus. Even the most godly men, and I'm married to one, I love him. Even the most godly men, they can't love you perfectly or satisfy you completely. But I think it can be really hard to really believe and trust that a relationship with Jesus is even better than a relationship with a human man. So I want you to hear firsthand from staff member Bria Griffin, who works on our Lancaster team, who was tempted to settle, but found that Jesus is better. If you believe in Jesus, you have the best husband and you have him forever. And that's why I actually put a piece of toilet paper. Hopefully you all got a a little piece of toilet paper. Um, I, I wanted to remind you that you don't have to settle. You don't have to settle for the lesser thing. You have the best love you are ever going to find in Jesus. It doesn't get better than him. So to to wrap us up, it is always going to be tempting to trust our own judgment when it comes to dating, to prioritize chemistry over character, to make our romance private instead of public, and to settle for a relationship that's, that's not that great instead of staying single. And this is why we need the truth of God's word to speak into our romantic relationships. I think Tim and Kathy Keller put it really well in their book, The Meaning of Marriage, which I highly recommend. So I brought it with me. It's the quote at the top of your outline. It says, unless you're able to look at marriage through the lens of scripture, instead of through your own fears or romanticism, through your particular experience or through your culture's narrow perspectives, you won't be able to make intelligent decisions about your own marital future. And so I also wanna say, if you have made mistakes in these areas, maybe you've already found these temptations, I, I know I have, it is never too late to start applying God's wisdom. And like we've been learning in the past two talks, there's God's grace for brokenness, for for our sin, for our suffering, for things done to us. So I I really encourage you this weekend in your small group times, with your staff workers, with other sisters in Christ, even with the ladies in this video, they're all willing to talk to you. Uh, Or you can talk to myself that I really encourage you to talk to other sisters in Christ about where you might be tempted, uh, you know, with these temptations in dating or where maybe you've already uh, been tempted and you love help knowing what it looks like to apply God's wisdom. So don't be like me in my minivan and trust your own judgment. Look outside of yourself to the counsel of God's word and other people as you go about your dating relationships. All right, ladies, uh, I am going to send us out to lunch now. Thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it. Also, one other quick note, I actually did bring a couple books with me that I found helpful about dating relationships and that I've used with students. This one in particular is probably my all-time favorite called She's Got the Wrong Guy, Why Smart Women Settle. Um, And I will put them up here on the stage if you wanna look at them at all during free time. You are welcome to, or even sit down and read it. 
uh, feel free. But thank you ladies so much and enjoy lunch. <laughs>